All right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by nobody. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. I'm the site manager over at Denver Stiffs. We're part of the Mile High Sports Podcast family. Really appreciate all the people who have tuned in, especially over the course of these past couple weeks. Had a variety of other folks that, that have tuned into these pods, just uh, trying to get the lowdown on what the Warriors are doing, what the Nuggets are doing, how this is actually feeling. And it wasn't feeling great for a while, it, that that's for sure. But you get a win in Game 4, it'll take a little bit of a sigh of relief. You're not getting swept. There are definitely some factors there that I think have impacted the Nuggets fan base in a positive way over the course of these past few days. So we're going to talk about that, especially in the second segment. Third segment, we're going to talk about how, oh man, we're going to, we're going to laugh at some other down bad teams and just uh, just kind of enjoy the moment and not being the main character over the course of uh, these last few days. But right now, I want to, in the first segment, we're going to talk adjustments and counters for Game 5. And I, I want to preface this by saying, look, the Warriors can and should be favored by a lot in Game 5. They probably should win the basketball game. That's how these things go. That if you are a dominant team in the first three games, and then the then home team, the underdog in this story... They put together a nice, strong run in that game four. You're probably a little bit surprised, but you're not like it's not a high pressure situation for your team. So you're going to make some adjustments if you're the Warriors. You're going to get back on track if that's that's at least the hope. And the Warriors, I'm sure, are probably thinking about trying to blow out the Nuggets in game five on their home floor. That's just the mentality that they are going to take into this thing. They're going to think, look, we didn't put our forth our best foot forward in game one. And so we're going to come or in game four, and we are going to come back to it for game five and put our best foot forward and, and see if we could finish this thing strong. Don't want to go back to Denver for game six. It's just a that's a that's a hassle. You you want to get yourself some rest because in the rest of the bracket, you've got a game five going on tonight. Uh, it is in the third quarter between Minnesota and Memphis, and that series just kind of sort of feels like it's destined to go seven games. So if you are the Warriors, you get yourself an extra day or two of rest, and that's what you're going to try to do. That's going to be your mentality. The Nuggets have to stop that. They have to adjust and counter to what the Warriors' adjustments are going to be. So after watching back some of the clips of the first four games. I watched back game four specifically just to see what the Nuggets were doing that was giving the Warriors trouble. And I think the main four Warriors adjustments are going to be this. I think they're going to start Steph on Wednesday. I think that that's going to be the band-aid that they rip off. They're going to try to get that done and they will adjust in this series so that they have some data going into their next series. That's what their mentality is going to be. And so that they could do this now, as opposed to a game one in the second round. I think they're going to try to isolate Nikola Jokic offensively. It worked really well against Steph Curry in the fourth quarter of last game. And my guess is that they're going to do their best to try to get that done in this game, especially with their home crowd, which will try to get as amped as possible. They're going to try to ride the wave 
of emotion from their bench. They're going to try to clown Nikola Jokic. That is what they're going to do. On the other end of the floor, they're going to double Jokic, I believe. I think that they are going to do their best to get the ball out of his hands early, force other guys to make plays, and if they don't make plays, then you get out and run, or you force some turnovers or whatnot, and and you do what you do best. You get defense into offense, and you get into your Warriors mode, where you get up shots really quickly, you get on these quick runs, and then if you're the Warriors, then you feel pretty good about that mentality, that kind of game plan. And the last thing is I think they're going to have Jordan Poole versus Denver's second unit. Last game, I'm pretty sure they had Steph. He came in and then basically kind of did what Austin Rivers did for Denver. He basically played from the middle of the first quarter to halftime, which was about an 18-minute stretch, and then played from the uh, the middle of the third quarter to the end of the game. So he played about 36, 37 minutes, which is exactly what Austin Rivers did. And so I think that that is going to entail Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson staggering against Denver's second unit once again. Now, Denver had some success against this lineup, but that was when Steph Curry was playing lower minutes and he wasn't in the the starting unit. So there are going to be some changes that I think have to be made. So let's go back through those again. Steph starting. What are the Nuggets going to do? If Steph starts and let's say Jordan Poole comes off the bench, well, they could tell themselves we are going to do the same thing that we've done. We're not going to change our starting unit because you've got two guards on the other side in Steph and Clay, or actually, well, you've got one guard, two wings in Clay and Wiggins, and then you've got a forward in Draymond and a big man in Kevon Looney. So if you're Denver, you have Jokic guard Kevon Looney, you have Draymond guard, or you have uh, Jeff Green guard Draymond, you have Aaron Gordon probably guarding Steph Curry, or maybe he's guarding Clay, and then you have probably Monte on Steph if if AG isn't, or you have Monte on Clay, and then you have Will Barton on Andrew Wiggins. So it's not that different if they bench Jordan Poole. Now, if they bench Andrew Wiggins, or if they bench Kevon Looney and just go with the death lineup, I think that changes things. And if you go with that, then you're probably going with Austin Rivers in the starting lineup. That is what I would do. I would take out Jeff Green, and I would start Austin Rivers. Because Austin Rivers needs to be on the floor as much as possible. He raises the level of competence the level of aggressiveness, and the level of physicality for Denver's defense. I think it's pretty clear that Jeff Green isn't really bringing the physicality. He's not bringing the punch to the Warriors. And he's also just a little bit slower, slower to match up in transition, slower to match up on the perimeter, and he gets beat every now and then. And those are possessions that you just can't have. You need all of the maximum effort and execution that you can possibly get. So I do think that Austin is probably the guy that you're going with in that case, which is not surprising to anybody that's that's followed this series. Rivers played 26 minutes in game one, dropped down to 21 in games two and three. But the only reason he didn't play 
I think in game three, more minutes is because he got into foul trouble. He had five fouls with about 10 minutes left to go. Malone takes him out, puts the starters back in. And then I'm surprised that Malone didn't go back to Rivers with about five minutes left to go. That's what I would have done. That's My guess is what he probably would have done. I, I think he just forgot about Austin Rivers. And that's, I think, a, a weakness in Michael Malone that a lot of people have pointed out and that that I think is a fair one that in these cases, he can get a little bit too amped and miss some of the easier adjustments. Hopefully that doesn't happen this time. And if if it does happen, the, the best way to do it is just to give yourself the easiest out possible. And that is to just start your best lineup, which I think is Monte, Will, Austin Rivers, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic. And if the Warriors still stay big, then so what? You have Aaron Gordon to guard Draymond Green, and he can switch that pick and roll. And you've got Jokic on Kevon Looney. You've got Will Barton on Andrew Wiggins. And then you've got Austin Rivers and Monte to guard Stephen Clay or Stephen Poole. No, Stephen Clay. That's it. Uh, so we'll see. We will see what they end up doing. Here are some of the other ones, though. Some of the other adjustments and counters. Isolating Nikola Jokic on defense. My guess is that kind of like the way that the Warriors set it up on in the fourth quarter on Sunday, they would use Steph as the screener and do an inverted pick and roll, kind of like what the Nuggets do. And the problem with that, if you are the Nuggets, is that you don't want to try to have Jokic getting over a screen because he's going to probably foul. And that's, that is what it is. Like he's, he's got to stay out of foul trouble. You've got to make sure to simplify the game a little bit. And the simplest way to deal with a, an inverted pick and roll is to switch. The problem is that if you're Jokic, you have to know that that's Steph Curry. And so my guess is that what they're going to try to do in that inverted pick and roll is they'll try to have Jokic go under the screen and force either a pull-up two or try to get him just to be back there in time so that he can contest those shots without fouling. I'm not sure if it's going to work. I'm also pretty sure that the Nuggets are going to still find themselves with Jokic isolated at the top. But should they just let it happen? Sometimes they probably should just let it happen. Should they double and have whoever it is up there kind of rotate the ball out of there and then just try to get the rotations right beyond that? Probably. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I think the best thing that they can do is just to press up with Jokic and drive and, and force uh, force Steph to drive, force Jordan Poole to drive, Clay Thompson, whoever it is, and then just rotate behind those guys. But you have to make sure that the rotations behind them are on time and on target. Because the last couple times, they were late. And that's not on Jokic. He probably needs to put up better resistance than what he did. But those guys behind have to know that that is coming. So my guess is that they're going to try to leave him one-on-one, -on -one, but have him press up and force a drive and then try to rotate their way out of it. And it'll work sometimes and you'll get burned sometimes, but the hope is that you can kind of limit those opportunities as much as possible.
We'll see if that actually happens. The next one, the Warriors are probably going to double Jokic more on defense earlier in the game. And Jokic had seven turnovers in this last game, so he's got to be better at avoiding the turnover first and foremost. But Denver's counter on this, it's just other guys making shots and spacing the floor well and taking advantage of the open opportunities that Jokic is going to deliver. As long as he can avoid the turnovers, and as long as he puts the ball on time and on target, then it's up to everybody else to just make the shot. And whether it's a contested layup over somebody else, or if it's an open three, or if you've got to drive into a pull-up two, whatever it is, just got to know that it's going to find you, that the ball is going to find you and you have to be ready. So we will see. We will see what they ultimately do. But the final one, Jordan Poole versus Denver second unit. That is probably going to happen if Steph is starting, because I doubt that they stagger Steph. They've staggered Poole and Clay while keeping Steph and Draymond on the bench over the course of these past few games. So my guess is that they'll go back to that. I think that Denver should play Faku. And I, I was tweeting about this earlier, and everybody was like, oh my God, are you okay? Are you under duress? Are you captured? Has somebody taken you prisoner? And I get it. I know I, know I haven't exactly been Faku's biggest fan. But the problem that you run into when you start Austin Rivers is that he's not coming off the bench, is that whenever Steph comes off the court, I'm going to guess that Austin Rivers probably comes off the court too. So if Denver does in fact start Austin Rivers, then there are going to be times with the bench where there are no perimeter defenders. So my guess is that Denver should probably put up Faku for six minutes in each half and just have him hound Jordan Poole and hound Clay Thompson. Probably not Clay. You probably can't do anything with Clay. But if it's Jordan Poole, match him up with Jordan Poole. And if he struggles with it, then have Aaron Gordon do it. Because Austin Rivers needs a break. And he probably needs to stay out of foul trouble too. So make sure that his fouls are saved for opportunities where he needs to prevent some stuff with the starters and doesn't have to take care of the bench too. He is about to play a bunch of minutes, just like he played 36 last game. So Faku, probably the right guy, honestly, to play. And it would be Davon Reed. Let's be honest about this. This is where not bringing up Davon Reed is a really, really big problem. Because if you bring him up, you can play him for those five or six minutes and have him guard Jordan Poole. He would be a pretty good defender against him. Or you could just have him be a, a switch guy. And just whenever he gets switched onto somebody else, you know he's going to be in the right place. So I am very curious to see what Denver cooks up if they do in fact start Austin Rivers. Are they just going to go with Bones, Bryn Forbes, and then maybe stagger one of the guards in the starting lineup? Are they going to stagger Aaron Gordon and play him at the three next to Jamichael Green and, and uh, DeMarcus Cousins? Are they going to play Jamichael, Jeff, and DeMarcus Cousins all together? That seems like a bad idea. What are they going to do? How are they going to handle it? I'm not sure. We're going to find out together. Let's take a break. 
When we come back, we are going to take a nice sigh of relief for not being swept. We'll be right back. back pickaxe and roll ryan blackburn here thank you so much everybody for tuning in if you can it'd be awesome if you could rate review and subscribe to the program five stars apple podcast spotify google wherever you get your podcasts that would be fantastic helps me out helps everybody out that's involved with this and uh which is mostly just me i, I say that a lot and and just like yeah it's it's uh it's me it's uh it's just me okay all right let's get into second segment here i want to talk about just the the palpable sigh of relief that happened with Nuggets fans when Game 4 was over, because it was very close to being a, a just a heartbreaking loss, where Nikola Jokic had a fantastic game, the Nuggets were up, and then the lead was just siphoning away, siphoning away, and then Denver ultimately lost the lead for just a little bit there. 121-119. They finished the game on a 7-0 run, but it was a close, close game. So we're going to see how Denver responds to that in Game 5 as well, how the, how the Warriors are going to respond to that. But there was a massive amount of slander and ridicule that was going around. It was getting a bit ridiculous that Jokic and the Nuggets we're enduring just so, so much. And there's a lot of talk about Jokic like lifting up a bunch of crappy players and uh, Malone not necessarily being a good coach and Will Barton was just getting the absolute ever-loving shit kicked out of him online for the Game 3 shot attempt. And then Denver wins Game 4. And it sort of goes away just a little bit because the slander... It sort of was stuck to the sweep discussion and that Denver had been swept last year by a team that went to the to the NBA Finals, by the way, and, and was a dominant team this year. And then potentially to a team this year where Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, they're playing small ball. Jokic is playing big ball, obviously. And there are a lot of people that are slandering Jokic. And, and honestly, some of it is fair. Like some of it, Denver not being able to handle some of the pressure and some of the speed that those teams are putting on them, I think that's a black mark for Denver's ability to compete at the highest levels of competition because all of these teams have great elite guards. They can get to their spots, get their shots, and if the Nuggets can't prevent that or can't at least score to keep up with them, then it's going to look pretty ugly but they don't have to deal with the sweep talk now because Jokic was fantastic, because Will Barton hit a game-clinching shot, because Monte Morris was very clutch, getting that floater to go while Jokic was being bottled up with a box and one. It was very, very clear that Denver was at a talent disadvantage. And there was sort of a mass acknowledgement after game four, that it was impressive that Denver was able to win that game 
and that it's so clear that the Warriors, they just have more bodies and they have more talent because Jamal Murray is out, because Michael Porter is out. Hell, because P.J. Dozier is out. Nobody really mentions that other than me. But wouldn't he be great for this series just as an option to throw out there? If you've got Murray and Dozier back, then you probably don't have to play Barton. You probably don't have to play Jeff Green as many minutes. You go with a Morris, Murray, Dozier, Gordon, Jokic lineup, and you feel really good about it. You could you throw Austin Rivers out there too. Hey, you've got a really good defensive group there. You haven't had a defensive group at all to throw out this year. And Denver's just been at that disadvantage ever since Dozier, frankly, tore his ACL. And you make that decision to go get Aaron Gordon last year. And now, like over the course of these past few couple postseasons, Gordon has had to chase around these guards to a point where I, I don't think that he's a guard stopper. He's a good option as a switch guy, but he's not a stopper on these quick six foot two, six foot three guards. We've learned that about him. And that's fine. There's no problem with that. But you've got to make these adjustments now. And you're going to have time to do that. But the thing about getting swept is that it would have prompted probably some big changes. I think there is a legit possibility that Stan Kroenke, Josh Kroenke, they look at this and rather than acknowledge that Murray was out and Porter was out and Murray was out last year and things were just sour both of those years, it's definitely a possibility that he would have said, I don't really want to pay the tax for this team. I'll pay it for Jokic. I don't go over just a little bit, but you guys have to cut down my bill. You guys have to make sure to cut this down and say, we're going to win and, and you're going you're to have to prove to me that you're a championship caliber team before I pay the tax again. And I know that sounds counterintuitive because it mostly is that if you are somebody that like you have to pay for something in order to get it up and running and you've got to pay the money and you've got to set the foundation before you see the results, that is too bad. But I don't think that Denver has to deal with that now, or at least maybe not to the degree had they been swept two years in a row. So you might get a little bit more flexibility. You might get a little bit more breathing room because everybody understands the disadvantages, because everybody can agree upon that, that this series, this one in particular, would have looked a lot more interesting and it still might, like it's not over. But it would have felt a lot more interesting in those first two games had Jamal Murray been healthy, had Michael Porter been healthy. The difference is now you get to fully understand that and hopefully take that info into next season. I hope everybody acknowledges the disadvantage. And I know that we're still not done. And honestly, like that point of view could change. Like there's definitely a possibility for it to change because I think you've had two non-competitive games where the Nuggets have looked completely outclassed in the first two. You've got two non-competitive games and two competitive games. Whichever one happens next will probably define Denver's playoff run this year. 
if you throw in a tough game five on the road and you make Golden State work for it and they do ultimately get the win, but it's like a it's like a four point win or a seven point win where it was close throughout, something like that. Then you tip your cap to them, acknowledge that you didn't have Murray or Porter and go into the offseason and try to get better. If you get blown the half out and you're a non-factor in more games than you were close, then it feels a little bit different. So I do think there's still a little bit of pressure, for sure, on Denver. There's definitely a little bit of pressure. But I do think that they have an opportunity here in Game 5 to really, like, this last game was playing for pride in Game 4. Game five is about playing competitively and showing that the first two games were a fluke. And that if you've got a 50-50 game in game three that went the Warriors' way, you've got a 50-50 game that went Denver's way in game four. If you get another 50-50 game that just happens to go Golden State's way, so what? That's going to be my opinion on it as somebody who understands the situation that Denver's in. I hope that is shared by the rest of the organization. I hope that is shared by the fan base. And we're just going to have to see what the Nuggets do and how they respond when Golden State inevitably tries to clown them in Game 5. I hope Denver continues to fight. hope they bounce back. And we get to see Nikola Jokic lead a tough feisty Nuggets group. We'll see if that happens. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss some of the other down bad teams in the NBA. We're going to end on a lighter note for sure. We'll be right back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Hopefully, it should be a fun day on Wednesday night. I am looking forward to it all, of course, podcast after everything happens on Wednesday night. Uh, it is going to be a late game, though. 8 o'clock Mountain Time, which means probably 8.30, based off of when games are actually being started lately. But we're going to see that. We're going to see how Denver responds. And I I would imagine that that podcast is probably going to happen and post at about 2 a.m. So be on the lookout for that, of course, and and hopefully hopefully it's a nice and enjoyable one. That's my goal. Let's talk about, to wrap up here, let's talk about some of the other down bad teams. And we can add the Atlanta Hawks to that list. They were just eliminated. Trey Young, man, he was put in hell. For the entirety of that series, and there wasn't really a co-star for him to rely upon in that series. And look, uh, DeAndre Hunter just scored like 35 points in uh, Game 5. Excuse me. Sorry, I'm, I'm reading uh, reading some of the updates here. 
DeAndre Hunter scored 35 points. I, I actually think that, and we, we might talk about this in the in the offseason, but there is a possible Nuggets trade that, that could be on the table that involves a big name, that involves a former uh, teammate of Trey Young's, uh, that we're, we're, we'll probably discuss in the offseason and just wait to see whether that happens or what what's everybody sort of looks like or not. But I do think that Denver is in a position where they get to be uh, the team that's patient because they've had their guys. And if they get hit with a nice fun deal, then it is what it is. And they could they could take a look at that. But other teams are going to be coming to them is what I will say. Let's laugh at some other teams though. And we got to start with the Lakers, right? The Lakers are, are drawing ire over a freaking show, <laughs> like winning time right now. They're there's a lot of stuff that's going on with winning time. And and LeBron James is tweeting from his couch or wherever about, man, I really wish I was in the playoffs right now. And Anthony Davis is just nowhere to be found. And I just sort of think that Russell Westbrook, that ship has obviously sailed. But where are you going to trade that dude? It's going to be pretty hard. And if you trade him, you're probably going to have to trade some stuff with him. So I'm just very curious to see what they ultimately do to try to survive that situation, but they can. Like LeBron and AD are still very talented, but it's going to get very bad for them and and probably stay very bad for them, I I have to imagine, because I'm just thinking about like the top players in the NBA right now, and I think LeBron is, is clearly past where he can be a guy who is the best guy on a title team without some serious help. He's going to need serious help. And whether Anthony Davis could do that or not remains to be seen. It, it just sort of seems like he is down bad from an athleticism and injury and even just a, just a fundamental playing standpoint. Like he, I, I don't know who he is as a player right now. Let's talk about the Jazz who are down 3-2 right now and are about to be eliminated by the Dallas Mavericks on their home floor in game six. If that actually happens, then my God, is it going to be just massive for Denver? And just like they gifted Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell as those draft picks to that franchise. And the fact that they couldn't turn that into anything, really, they traded for Mike Conley, who was good for a short period of time because they traded for him while he was old. They added Boyan Bogdanovich who was old. Joe Ingles tore his ACL this year, and that sucks, but he was already getting old too. They have not done a good job of building talent around that franchise, like around those those two franchise stars. And the guys that they've drafted, the guys that they've added, it's just been a, a masterclass in how to foil what was a, a just a, a really strong foundation. And now, I think they're going to be fighting. I think they're going to be in a really bad place. And we're going to see whether they survive it or not and what they what that team looks like after the season. Because I cannot imagine Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert both being back. And if you trade one for pieces, then it's very possible that you trade the other two. So I'm... I'm Curious to see what Jazz fans think of that and curious to see how they 
how they're sort of feeling about it because it seems like they're just resigned to it at this point. The Brooklyn Nets, of all the teams that I could have started with, I probably could have started with Brooklyn. Good Lord. Uh, That team didn't show up and and some of them literally did not show up in the playoffs this year. Uh, Kevin Durant looked human and him looking human is a really, really big deal for a team that needed him to be the best player in the world. He was outplayed by Jason Tatum and Grant Williams. My God, I I watched Grant Williams and was very excited about him out of the draft when he was first selected. Obviously, he was not available for Denver to select, or else I would have been a lot more piney about Denver not selecting him. But he's just a very functional player that every team should want, every single one. And I am not surprised that he has turned into a a foundational piece for that Celtics team. But the Nets, Kyrie Irving goes out sad, says that he's going to resign, but he could change his mind. There's no doubt. And would you really want to pay him four years, $190 million? He has played 103 games in three years. 103 regular season games, I'm pretty sure. It might actually be regular season and postseason. I wouldn't know because he hasn't been available. And he hasn't been like, I mean, he's been talented. He's been very good, but he's just not a reliable player. And if you're Denver, like, there is no way that I would trade Jamal Murray for Kyrie Irving right now because I don't even know if Kyrie Irving's going to play, let alone Jamal Murray just might be better for the foreseeable future. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of like guys that everybody says that they would want, but when you actually get them, it's never actually as good as what you would initially hope for. So I hope that Denver stays patient on this front because the Nets, they are the classic example of what it looks like when you trade for these stars and you cater to those stars and you just look bad doing it on a number of cases. But yeah, Ben Simmons, I I, I don't I don't know if I want to even like touch that just because I'm sure that there is something physically and mentally wrong. At that point, and, and I am sensitive to that as somebody who also deals with various things. But he just seems like a guy who isn't fully committed. And it's hard to have sympathy for somebody if they are not fully committed to the people around them and if they're not like trying. And it just seems like he's ducking. And so I, I'm not I'm not gonna go more than that. But that foundation that they have, that they built and that they really seriously catered for, seems like it's crumbling real quick. Now the Sixers, they were crowing, especially when Denver went down 2-0. Then they went down 3-0 and the Sixers went up 3-0 and Joel Embiid hit that fantastic, and I do legitimately mean fantastic shot that he had. To win game three. They are now up 3-2. And Joel Embiid has this hurt thumb. Which he did hurt before that shot, by the way. So he is capable of playing better than what he's shown in games four and five. 
but he was being attacked pretty relentlessly. He was being just absolutely destroyed in defensive coverages, which is not something you would expect from Joel Embiid. But it does seem like the the Raptors have something serious to play for. They're going back home with an opportunity on Wednesday night to even up the series at 3-3. And whether that actually happens or not remains to be seen. But the fact that it's a possibility against a Doc Rivers-led organization and team, it's got to be pretty scary for people. And then you've got the Suns. And you're thinking, the Suns? What's up with the Suns? Well, they're tied 2-2, and they're playing tonight. I'm recording this. It's currently 8 o'clock, and I'm recording this before they actually play Game 5. And Devin Booker is out for Game 5. The Pelicans won Games 2 and 4, so they have shown the capability to go on the road and get a win. And if you're the Pelicans, you got to smell blood in the water right now and know that the, the Suns are the team that has to adjust. And if they do adjust and you still beat them and you take a 3-2 lead as an 8th seed back to your place, then the Suns could have an easy, quick exit after talking all that shit throughout the year. And it'll be very fun to say, and it's really tough to win without your second star. That's uh, it's pretty tough. Yeah, you gotta really, uh, gotta really account for that. Just like they were saying to the Nuggets in that 4-0 sweep. So that would be pretty sweet. That would be pretty enjoyable, I think. Whether it actually happens or not, I don't know. The Suns are still fantastic. But the Pelicans are playing with so much confidence right now that you absolutely could see them losing. Or you could see the Suns losing. Pelicans are playing with a ton of confidence. I'm enjoying it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to watch that game tonight and very much hope for a massive Pelicans victory. Because it would give me the confidence heading into Golden State on Wednesday night, that Denver could do the same. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the playoffs right now. A lot of crazy stuff. Hopefully Denver is just one of those other teams that jumps on for the ride. We will see. That'll do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Nobody. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support, as always. I'll be back tomorrow. As I mentioned at the top of this segment, going to be back to recap game five, win or lose. We do this together. Should be fun to see. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support as always. Talk to you guys tomorrow. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. 
coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.